But in other cases, and, and the land use category is one of those, there has to be assumptions made where we lack real data or real numbers. And, and that's where, as I said, some of the frustrations maybe come in, in in how these numbers can change and change fairly drastically at times. Now, the emissions can be argued in terms of some of those figures are coming from international studies or European studies. The more Irish data we get, the more refined those figures can be. Hello, I'm Stuart Childs and you're welcome to the Dairy Age, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With the land use, land use change and forestry sector targets still to be decided, there has been much talk around re-wetting of peatland. As Ireland, the Dutch and the Danes are net emitters of carbon from land, work has been done to look at areas of land involved and emission factors that are used. Pat Tuhi, Lillian O'Sullivan, Conor Bracken and Owen Fenton have just released a paper reviewing the extent, efficacy and implications for greenhouse gas emissions and re-wetting efforts of grassland peat soils in Ireland. I started by asking Pat the main purpose of this review they have completed. Effectively, what we're trying to do here is, is, is come up with more accurate figures or argue for some more accuracy in terms of the figures that are there. What's, I suppose, uh, there's some background here, I suppose, would be work going into in terms of why and how some of these numbers come about and, and why and how some of them change. And, and, and so I suppose the background, like you said, there's, there's, there's a number of different sectors. If we, if we take the broader look at the, at the national uh, inventory, which is um, a report that, that each country is obliged to produce every, every year. In Ireland, the EPA is, it, it has responsibility for that. And it, it's a huge body of work, as you could, as you could imagine, in terms of, you know, transport and energy and uh, outside of agriculture and land use, which are the, the two of concern broadly in, in, in our side of the, the industry. From the, the land use side of things, there, there is a lot of, um, there's less hard data, I suppose, out there or hard numbers that we can hang our hat on. So in some cases, there's assumptions that would be used to, to try and estimate what the emissions figures are. So if, if you take, if you take, for example, transport, like we know exactly down to the litre how many litres of diesel or petrol are sold in a year, how many cars are on the road, what an average mileage is, how many trucks are on the road, how many commercial vehicles on the road, what the average uh, efficiency of an engine is, how much diesel or petrol they're using. So those are all hard numbers that you can come up with a total emission value for. In the case of, of cattle numbers, we have the, the the number of livestock, the ages, the diet, the emissions associated with those. Um, now, the emissions can be argued in terms of some of those figures are coming from international studies or European studies. The more Irish data we get, the more refined those figures can be. Um, in terms of, of the amount of fertilizer that's sold or that's used, we can we, we have hard numbers or hard data again for that. Um, but in other cases, and, and the land use uh, category is one of those, um, there has to be assumptions made where we lack real data or real numbers. And, and that's where, as I said, um, some of the frustrations maybe come in, in in how these numbers can change and change fairly drastically at times. But it's quite simple, I suppose, in terms of the the ground rules for all this is laid down by the, the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which some of the listeners will probably be aware of whenever there's um, you know, new agreements in terms of, of, of the international agreements, whenever those are in the news, this is the IPCC are, are generally at the forefront of all that. And they lay down those ground rules in terms of reporting. And, 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 and quite simply, if, if you didn't have assumptions and you did, where, where you didn't have data, you'd have a lot of, of, of um, you know, an unfair reflection in terms of what the emissions might be. You can't choose to pass, basically, because you don't have the information like... 
Correct. Yeah. Or, or there mightn't be there mightn't be any information to it. There mightn't be past information or present information. But instead of saying we don't know, so we're going to not, we're going to put a zero there where there should be an emissions figure, which would obviously lead to you know an unworkable scenario when you're comparing country to country. Um, you know, they, they use they use uh, uh, broader assumptions that is is possibly data pulled from other parts of the world or information uh, that's, you know, a proxy for, um, you know, um, the data that's needed. In terms then of, 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 of so to, to jump forward from that, so that's the general background in terms of, of how these some of these numbers come about. Yeah, so basically, Pat, like just to, I suppose to be clear, because we're very conscious that people wouldn't get the wrong idea here, so that the we have to take um, emissions factors from other information or other data that's out there in the absence of having our own data. And like a lot of the work that's going on at the moment across Chagas, across UCD, maybe all, a lot of research organizations within Ireland at the moment would be looking at trying to refine those figures. And Ben's work probably is a good example of that in relation to the methane emissions. Now, Frank O'Mara himself would have started that methane emission work back in the late 90s, probably early 2000s anyway. And there's refinements been done on that. We'll say the SF6 method that was being used has now been replaced by the green feed machines that people may have seen there at the open day recently. Like, and that's all refining, refining, refining. It's not saying that necessarily what was done previously was wrong, but it's just refinement. Um, so I suppose it's just just to be clear for people that the, these figures can go up or could go down as well. Like, so that, that it like the refinement isn't necessarily all to drive it down. So people shouldn't. Uh, rubbish the figures that are there necessarily until we know better basically yeah and again like at any point in time it's the best estimate so that given the information that's available it's the best possible estimate and when more or more accurate information becomes available then the estimate improves uh it's not that as you say it's going it's it's all moving one direction or the other it's that the accuracy improves um so again that that refinement is is a key part of of our research work and it's it's the core you mentioned ucd you mentioned our own research side of the house if there's a gap there to be filled, that's the the bread and butter of research. We have to provide data where there is none, uh, and and that's what we're obviously very um, involved with at the moment in terms of the greenhouse gas side of things. Yeah, so you're saying that there's um, basically there's 3.8 million hectares of mineral soils in Ireland, and the suggestion heretofore has been that there's 335,000 hectares of peat soils, which have the potential or are actually releasing carbon. Yeah, so the, the the current figures and and the current figure that's that's um, in the national inventory for for peat soil for grassland peat soils. So the total amount of peat soil is about a million and a half hectares. The proportion of that that's under agriculture uh, is is predominantly grassland. There's a, a very small proportion under cropland, but under the grassland heading, there's three hundred and thirty five thousand hectares. Now there is some uncertainty around that figure um, in terms of the the definition of a peat is that you have uh, at least twenty percent soil organic carbon and you have forty centimeters depth. Uh, in theory, unless you're to go out on a very um, you know detailed ground truthing exercise, you can't detail to the to every acre, every hectare what exactly is peat or isn't. So there is some flexibility around that number, but it's broadly. Uh, assumed or estimated to be in the you know the 300 to 350,000 hectare range and and the, the figure that's used in the inventory is 335,000 hectares there there is a bit of uncertainty around that figure but as i said that that 335,000 hectare number is is fairly set and is it basically similar i suppose if you take glacial distribution we'll say when glaciers were retreating and stuff and you can have 
wet spots and dry spots in those same field it's, is it nearly the same scenario like as you said unless you actually tested every field you wouldn't be able to say exactly yeah there's a huge amount of variability and and, and look we've often talked about that in terms of other um broadly speaking in terms of the mineral soils the variability that's there uh the peat soils there's huge variability where that condition is met in terms of where that 40 centimetre depth of peat starts to appear is 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 obviously quite variable and there's a lot of marginal areas that are um you know uh not fully peat but are 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 getting to that depth so there's a lot of um potential i suppose for for variability around those numbers um in terms of the areas that 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 are that are uh, estimated so again that that i goes i suppose goes to show why there's some uncertainty there when we look at the actual uh, scale of, of of information that that would be needed to 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 get a very accurate figure on that. The, is there any scope, we'll say, for the likes of drone technology or anything like that for being being able to establish those areas and maybe, you know, have to emphasise again that these numbers could go up or could go down, but that we, we might be able to identify those truly more or well more accurately, I suppose, than what we're. We're saying no. So like the, there's a number of, of of projects in play at the moment. There's one being laid out at Trinity, which is looking at, at peat mapping. Um, that was that was done originally in the the 1800s, believe it or not. Um, they're trying to marry that up with, um, like you say, more more modern technology in terms of satellite imagery, in terms of drone imagery, uh, in terms of some ground truthing. There's other projects that were involved with ourselves that are that are looking at similar um methods that might be used to try and try and ensure the accuracy of that figure so so there's a number of those that are, that are ongoing Stuart exactly um exactly in that vein okay so again like that's just emphasizing again to people that what's your what we're going to go on and talk about now we're getting, going to get into the meat of how you've kind of come up with the numbers that you've come up with there that the, this this is all about refinement really and a lot of the work in the agricultural side of things is um is refinement the only one question i have for you pat in relation to this refinement so i know talking to ben and talking to lawrence about the the changes that they're getting will say as, as i said already the sf6 versus the green feed are showing different figures and we're able to get them into the inventory and your figures are going to go into the inventory now as well next year hopefully once they're fully uh, accepted and so forth um but like ben says that that figure just basically dials down the figure that we had in 2018 and doesn't make a huge difference to we still have to achieve 25 percent is is what you're after doing a little bit more significant in terms of its impact in that sense the 25 percent target for agriculture remains so and the baseline figures might move but the target still remains so you, you still have you know there's still obviously a job of work there to to refine those figures or to reduce those emissions uh, in this case, the, the land use sector hasn't actually set a target, and some of the listeners would be familiar with that as well. That was delayed last year when, when all sectors were reported or, or uh, obliged to meet targets that, that had been set. The, the land use sector was, was, was kicked down the road a small bit to the back end of this year um, when those targets would be set. But again, this would be a baseline change. So the percentages, um, whatever the percentage uh, reduction in emissions agreed, um, would still would still need to be would still need to be achieved, but I suppose it would be a, a percentage of a smaller total number, so it would be um, a, a less challenging uh, saving to make. Would would be the bottom line on that? Okay, so and just on the actual emissions then from the peat soils that we're talking about, what's the suggestion there? And even actually, I suppose just to what what's the figure that the EPA are using in their inventory for those mineral soils that we're looking at at the moment? And like we've already said there, that ourselves, the Danes and the Dutch are net emitters. So 
just explain that balance, I suppose, in an Irish context. Yeah, so the, the, the total land use emissions, um, and uh, we, we, we can get into all sorts of numbers now, but uh, it, it, mightn't, it mightn't enlighten people too much, but the major numbers that have to be kept in mind, the total emissions from land use, which is everything, grassland, wetland, settlements, cropland, forestry, um, and so on, the total emissions is, is just over 7 million tonnes of CO2 equivalent per year. And there is some that are, you know, for example, forestry is sequestering about 2 million tonnes, uh, mineral soils, grassland soils, uh, mineral grassland soils are sequestering about 2 million tonnes as well. But the biggest contribution to that land use sector um, is the 9 million tonnes that are estimated to come from the peat soils on grassland. And that number is coming, as I mentioned earlier, the 335,000 hectares. One of the conditions that I that I was getting at earlier in terms of the the, the ground rules on, on this national inventory reporting is where there is um, uncertainty or where there is no knowledge about the drainage status of peat soils, the rule is that they should be assumed to be drained. And I suppose that's the nub of, of where our argument comes from in that our own experiences of, of, of various different programs over the years and dealing with, with land drainage and dealing with, with soil water management is that that assumption uh, isn't or wasn't reasonable. Um, and I suppose the, the basis of the paper, the recent study that was out, was to try and uh, argue against that figure. And, 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 and that's what we've been doing and, and, and reasonably successfully doing, as you say now, that we're, we're hopeful that this would be incorporated fairly soon into the inventory. With that, with that assumption, I suppose, Stuart, there comes uh, an associated emission factors. An emission factor is basically the rate of carbon that's, that's released per hectare uh, from this from this land use category, um, and quite simply, that well, that includes you know methane, nitrous oxide, carbon itself, um, offsite emissions of carbon, so dissolved carbon that will disappear off through the the waterways themselves and so on. But it's all amalgamated into a, a carbon equivalent figure, which is about twenty six to twenty seven tons per hectare. So if you get out the calculator and multiply twenty six by 335,000, you'd see where the 9 million is coming from. That's the, the basis of that figure. But that that 26 rate of emissions, 26.6 actually, if that rate of emissions uh, is coming from the assumption that this is all drained, which we're, we're, we're arguing against. Yeah, so you kind of touched on it there. How have you actually uh, discredited it? It's probably the wrong word to do, but... <laughs> to use but how are you countering the the 335,000 so what have you done to to come up with um, a number that you probably I think is 90,000 or 95,000 or something you're saying is more appropriate we're proposing a range of, of 90 to 120,000 hectares and I suppose the thinking behind that is 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 as I said our own experience in the ground would tell us that that's not feasible like if we go back to the 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 bread and butter in terms of land drainage the principle of any drain, whether it's an open drain or a field drain, is that it will it will draw down the water table, you know, in in the vicinity of the drain. And the more difficult the soil is to drain, the more limited that effect will be. And if the effect is limited, then you need on a per hectare basis, you need more drains per hectare. So you need very closely spaced drains to control the water table on a on a very difficult soil. And and peat certainly meet that criteria. Um, in terms of there's a huge, uh, a very high intensity of drainage required to actually control the water table. So that was our own experience. And I suppose that's all well and good, but until you have, and again, there's, there's standards that have to be made in terms of national inventory reporting. Until you can compile evidence to try and 
back up that argument, then then you're not at a whole lot in terms of trying to change those numbers. So the basis of this paper, it doesn't actually um, come up with any new data, but it's delving back into the past, I suppose, in terms of um, various different reports and various different studies that were, some of which, which were freely available online, most of which were buried in archives in various different offices and and you know over the years Chagas has a, had a very strong history in terms of the the soil survey department the soil physics department that would have done a lot of work in the 60s 70s and 80s in particular on on land drainage and on soil classification and it's you know literally when when people retired maybe sometimes there was there was shelves of booklets and books and reports that were passed on through the generations and we've all <laughs> Uh, those of us, myself and Owen and Lillian and Connor and others um, in the organization have, I suppose, inherited those over the years. Um, and it was digging through those, I suppose, and compiling all those reports. And 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 at the references at the back of this this paper, for those who have looked at it in detail, you know, there's over 150 different reports and publications there that are referenced. So it's it's basically building evidence from those, Stuart, putting together that body of work into a, a reasoned argument in terms of you know, here is the, the data that will tell us what the the effect is or how effective drainage works are on peat soils, how intense the work actually needs to be. Uh, like we've seen, we've worked there and plenty of it that, that shows you need drain space, you know, less than five metres apart on a lot of these soils, uh, what that would actually cost and, and, and to install day one and what that would actually cost to maintain long term, um, you know, isn't um doesn't tally with the 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 level of income that's available off these soils or the the enterprises that are largely based on these soils um and i suppose one of the key ultimately when it when 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 it come, when it boils down to it i suppose there was one or two key reports that we that we found and one was from um a conference in 1986 that took place in the netherlands uh, and again this was stuff that was that was buried um in various piles of of, of reports but um uh, a researcher from the soil physics department at that in that era called, named Liam Galvin, who had done an awful lot of work on drainage surveys and and had surveys or taken the the, the leadership role in terms of surveying fifty thousand hectares of of the country in terms of a drainage survey that was carried out in the sixties and seventies. But he reported anyway in in, in nineteen eighty six that in the period from the late forties to the late eighties that there was seventy thousand hectares of peat soils drained, of which. 20,000 were were now uh, redundant and needed redrainage. So there was a net figure at that time of, of 50,000 hectares drained. And I suppose that was that was a very clear um, element of, of, of um, support in terms of our argument that, that the level of drainage w- was, was, you know, much closer to that end of the scale than the 335,000 hectare end of the scale. And and we built we built the arguments then around that and as I said there's there's many reports that would back that up that if the drains aren't and and I suppose it's it's important to say as well we're not saying that these soils weren't drained or or, or that they were never drained as such there were some soils in that category that were never drained there were some that were you know um, some fairly low key attempts at draining draining them there was some where there was a lot of attempts or fairly um, robust attempts to drain them but. It wouldn't have had the effect of controlling the water table over very wide areas. So the the in effect the 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 level of drainage was 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 enough to have you know localized effects, but it wasn't enough to drain uh, you know very large areas of these soils unless it was very intensively um, installed and in very intensively maintained thereafter. 
And I suppose just to finish the point, the reason I suppose that that Liam Galvin study was particularly important and that 50 to 70,000 figure was particularly important in 1986 is that it, it is recognised by everyone um, from the Climate Change Advisory Council to our own in-house reports and, and, and various different um, bodies and sectors that the period from the 1940s to 1980s, when there was a huge amount of impetus for drainage, when there was state grant aid available for, for land drainage and so on, and, and even our own, uh, as I said, the soil physics department and the land drainage specialists were at their at their height of their, their careers. Think of their powers as such. Yeah, was it was in that period. And as I said, that's widely recognized. So it's very significant to have a figure at the end of that period which which details that whole period and comes up with that fifty to seventy thousand figure. So that was, as I said, um nearly forty years ago. Um so the figures that we have then is is building on top of that and allowing for extra drainage to be done in coming up with, with our figures, which are in the ninety to hundred and twenty thousand hectare range. Um so that, that's that's the the core of the argument really um in, in terms of, of gathering and the information putting a shape on that argument in terms of, of what this information means uh, and, and putting together a, a new proposed uh, emissions figure. Uh, and, and that's the, the the story or the shortened story of, of, of what's in the paper, how the paper came to be, I suppose. Okay, so I suppose just to put it into context, basically, I have the calculator here and I did 120,000 hectares, which is obviously the upper end. That's coming in at just short of 3.2 million tons of carbon CO2 equivalent versus the just short of 9 million tons that you were talking about there a little while ago. Yeah, so the the, the, the ranges, and it's worth bearing in mind, the range that we've proposed is, is 90 to 120,000 hectares, but the emissions are 3.6 to 4.7 million tonnes. And the reason for that, it's it's slightly above what you proposed there, Stuart, is that the, the balance, so if we take the 90,000 figure from the 335, you're left with two, four, five there. Oh yes, okay. It's still a, there's still emissions from those soils. Those soils don't don't disappear off the map, yeah. so to speak. Um, and even as they are rewetted or, or or wetter than what was assumed, there's still a level of emissions from these soils. And there's still, you know, three point six to four point seven million tons is not an insignificant um, level or, or or total emissions figure, but it's obviously a lot less than than the nine million figure. Um, and it gives us that bit of subtlety that that we were probably missing in terms of the the assumption that all of these were were drained. And I suppose you mentioned uh, the we'll say the carbon flux towers and stuff like that. Now I know I didn't mention them particularly, but the project is at NASCO. I think um, that's behind that is going to further refine maybe the figures that are going to come for both the the actual drain peat soils that you're talking about predominantly here and the undrain or the 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 ones that are going to be rewetted maybe we'll say so the effect of rewetting will come into play over the next number of years maybe and also where soils aren't rewetted maybe just even the emissions that are coming from them are going to be kind of more refined over the next number of years as well yeah and that I suppose bears comparison with the studies you mentioned earlier from Ben Lahart and others in terms of the emission factors is is the as I said the rate of carbon that's emitted from any particular activity. Um, those are based on on countless international studies. Um, sometimes having Irish specific data, sometimes not. Um, and generally speaking, the more national or Irish specific data we can get included in those, um, the more accurate those estimates would be. So what the NASCO program is doing, the NASCO is the National Agricultural Soil Carbon Observatory, and people will probably f- be familiar with those because they've, they've scattered um, 
emissions um, monitoring equipment around the country in various different parts of the country, various different soil types and various different enterprises to try and estimate, um, again, to try and improve accuracy, to see are the figures that we're using or that we're obliged to use without our own figures, are they reasonable or are they not? And I suppose that's the core argument of all this stuff is is we can we can go through these reports with a fine-tooth comb and start to pull out, you know, where uh, where the assumptions are and, and where they're reasonable and 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 that's fine and we can we can um you know we can we can go with those but where they're not it's it's our duty and our role to to try and argue uh for more accurate or more uh, effective numbers uh, and that's what it all boils down to because it is 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 um an accounting exercise under the different categories so it's to try and ensure that um, all those numbers are as are as accurate or as representative of the the, the conditions that we have uh, as possible. Okay, so Pat, I suppose just to I suppose wrap it up, really, just what are the implications for dairy farms in relation to this now? Um, like, obviously, I've spoken to you several times before about the the whole heavy soils program, and there's a high quite a proportion of milk coming off of heavy soils. But are they all? Are they all peat soils? Are they not peat soils at all? That, so just, I suppose, to put, give us a bit of context around that. Yeah, so there's there's a number, if you take um, those farms that we're involved with over the years, you know, you'll you'll have probably less than, you'll have 8 to 10% of those by, by land area will be organic or peat soils. Um, and that is probably reflected in, in a proportion of the dairy farms that are out there. So it's, 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 it's relatively low proportions. But I suppose the key thing here is that the, the, the broader policy going forward um, on these peat soils is is now coming from a, a much more accurate figure, I suppose. So where where the policy leads us, I suppose, uh, and I suppose the nature restoration law and similar um, laws and proposals over the last few years have been getting a lot of a lot of attention in the media, and there still will be um, a call there in terms of restoration. Obviously, like what 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 I suppose should be remembered is that when we're categorizing stuff, be it the National Inventory Report or generally when policy is coming on these uh, on these soils or different areas, is that it tends to be, te- things tend to be looked at in, in black and white terms. Uh, and the case here is <laughs> is obviously what I've been talking about in terms of drained or not drained. And there's also that coming along the line in terms of restored or not restored. What we can, what we're proposing and, and arguing for all the time is a bit more subtlety and that it's recognized that there's a, a, a gradient of drainage across these soils. Um, you know, there is shades of grey, I suppose, to put it in terms of, uh, instead of black and white, in terms of drained or not drained. Some of these soils are, as I said, were never drained. Some of these are seasonally drained. Some of these are very well drained. Um, and they're they're not all starting from the same point, I suppose, Stuart. And, and what the, the nature restoration law or the proposals might mean for them then obviously needs to be aware of that fact. And, and I suppose... The level of of restoration that might be required is going to be again uh, follow shades of grey as a, as opposed to a, a black and white yes no uh, scenario. Um, so that 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 remains to be seen really. Um, but this this work I suppose gives us more accurate figures. It doesn't necessarily uh, get rid of any of those um, those proposals that are coming down the line. They're still going to be very much um, in play in terms of, of future policy up to 2030 and up to 2040 and beyond, and maybe beyond when we get retired, Stuart, maybe go, still going on in terms of debating what way they're going to go. But um, as I said, there, there, there's there's different starting points for different soils. There's huge variability in terms of 
soil type, in terms of water table depth, in terms of management, in terms of enterprises, and 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 that will need to be reflected. Would be my view in terms of of what the policy would be going forward with these with these areas. Okay, so while it mightn't directly impact on individual sectors, it's the whole the country's whole situation is what's been. Uh, improved i suppose by what you yourself and owen and lillian and connor have done there in the last couple of uh, years years a year or two i suppose probably a nice bit of work and going back through all that kind of old data and heavy heavy going trying to when it's not in the computer screen and easy to search there's a bit of digging to be done yeah so. a bit of digging but we're used to that we've done plenty of that done Stuart. You're used to digging in the heavy soils program. <laughs> very good, Pat. So thanks very much for coming on today and, and enlightening people on that most uh, very recent uh, publication that you have that's obviously going to have a big benefit to the industry as a whole. Uh, as I said, even though it mightn't directly impact on individual farms, it's, it's important for the whole industry. So thanks for doing it, I suppose, and thanks for coming on to talk to me about it. No problem, Stuart. That's all for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Pat Tuhey for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Stuart Childs and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.